O oh God, you are a God of infinite wisdom, but you are not a God who is uh, interested in disconnecting us or allowing us to remain in the dark. Instead, you have spoken and you have uh, written down for us uh, your words through your people, and we are so thankful. And this morning, we want to uh, take your word and uh, treat it faithfully. We want our hearts to uh, respond to it faithfully as well so that you might be glorified even in our time together this morning and our application of it for the rest of our lives. Would you help us by your Spirit's power in Christ's name? Amen. Mark chapter 9, I'm going to read from verse 14 to 29. Mark 9, verse 14. Let's hear God's word. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed, and they ran to him and greeted him, and asked him, What are you arguing with them about? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth, and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation! How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And when they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately after the immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him, and he rose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to him, This kind can only be driven out by, by anything but prayer. Can, cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Thanks be to God for his word. As we begin to dig into this passage, what you'll notice is the sense of the scene is very high in emotions, in feeling. You can feel this scene in a lot of ways. You can feel how tense it is at first. When you see this arguing, this, this disruption, and then you see that tenseness break when there's these people who come with amazement once they notice Jesus is present. Then comes a father, and you can feel the ache in his heart for his son. And then you sense the aggression of this demon as it torments the boy. The discouragement, the disappointment, trying everything, and the boy still suffers. The embarrassment or the confusion of the disciples. The frustration of Jesus. The desperation of a father. And then the compassion of Jesus. But amidst all these emotions or experiences, we find 
there is a common thread, and it is a thread of faith. Sometimes faith well applied, and others not well applied. Is it about faith in the right thing, or faith that is from the right place? That's what the thread we'll discover in this passage. That's what we are to look at this morning. Faith in the right thing, and faith from the right place. Those are the things that no matter the ebbs and the flows of life, no matter what comes into the human experience, it is faith that is the foundation, that is through it all. Faith is the thing that is to sustain us. So what is it? This morning we're going to look at three areas of faith. First, the disciples' faith. Second, that father's faith. And third, our faith. So the disciples' faith. In verse 14, you see the scene. So Jesus is coming down uh, from this transfiguration with uh, Peter, James, and John. And he comes, and there's this tense situation. A great crowd around the disciples, the scribes arguing. And we know what the scribes are trying to do. These scribes are trying to discount the faith system or the belief system of these disciples. What these disciples said they believed, what they had experienced they had believed, and now... The scribes are poking holes in it like, hey, your thing didn't work. Hey, how come you failed? Hey, is Jesus really God? Hey, what's going on with all that you believe? It's crumbling. Look, it's crumbling. They're trying to pick apart the belief system, the faith system of these disciples. Poke holes in facts. Find loopholes. Find misunderstandings. Find frailty in humans. See, you're not able How often do so many people also pick away at our faith system, right? They'll find a weak person of faith. They'll say, well, look at their failure. Say, yeah, that was pretty epic failure. So therefore, if, if, you know, they're supposed to be a Christian and they're supposed to be one who God is working in, why are they failing in such a way? Why Why do we fail in such a way? Oh, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase. But that's someone doing what the scribes are doing here. I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. I'm going to pick apart what your faith system is supposed to look like. I don't have that, but you're supposed to have it. And so I'm going to pick at it and show you, look, it's going to crumble, isn't it? That's what the scribes are trying to do. They're trying to pick apart at the faith system of these disciples. This argument is about uh, a boy. And it's so interesting because Jesus asks himself, he says to them in verse 16, Well, what are you arguing about with them? So whether you ask the scribes or whether you ask the disciples, they're not the ones who answer. He's asking, what is this argument about? And he asks it to the disciples or the scribes. And then here we come in verse 18 and someone from the crowd answered him. Wasn't a disciple, wasn't a scribe or someone trying to pick this apart. It was this very man a man full of agony. He was full of anticipation. Now he's full of disappointment. Verse 18, he said that, where, where am I? And then, oh, sorry, verse 17. Uh, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. So this man pipes in. And then he said in verse 18, so I asked your disciples to cast it out. These disciples who are now in an argument with these scribes, I asked them to cast out this demon, this evil spirit from my son, and they could not do it. They were 
unable to accomplish what they maybe should have been able to do. So Jesus' response is interesting. His, he answered them, not just this man, he answered them, the disciples, the scribes, this man. He answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? It's an interesting response of Jesus, isn't it? First, to speak of it as a whole generation is like, oh, this whole generation is just faithless. None of them have faith. None of them believe. Obviously, it's not what Jesus is saying. But he is saying this generation, the very generation which, if, if faith was produced by sight, would have the most amount of faith. For what they have seen, what they have experienced, what they have known, this generation of all generations should have the most amount of faith. But yet, he says here, they're faithless. They lack in faith. They lack in trust. They lack in the ability to believe. And we ought to wonder why. Why do these disciples at this moment are described as faithless? And Jesus expresses his frustration with him. He says, how long am I to be with you? Like, I'm only here for a limited time. If you want, if you want sight, if you want to see things, this is the time. But then also, how long am I to bear with you? I have tried to teach. I have tried to show. I have tried to uh, exemplify. How long am I to bear with you? And you still don't believe. You still are not with me. You still do not see me or understand me. You still don't experience me. And then he says, bring him to me. This boy, the one that is causing this kerfuffle because the disciples could not cast out this demonic spirit of this boy. He says, bring him to me. And then it's interesting because the disciples, obviously at that point, are defeated. They had, Jesus had been away up the mountain, Peter, James, and John. The remaining nine disciples are trying to carry on the ministry. The crowds are still there, still eager, still gathered. And this man brings his son to the disciples and say, hey, you've been with Jesus. You know how this goes. This is my boy and I need you. Now they're so defeated because they had tried and failed. And now their, their faith is being picked apart publicly. And the scribes kind of have a point, probably. So now they've been defeated and they were so discouraged. We find later in verse 28, when they entered a house after this whole thing was done, the disciples entered the house. His disciples asked him privately. Why not publicly, by the way? Why not in front of everybody else, in front of the crowd? Why not say, hey, why couldn't we do it? Because he's going to point out, you're faithless. They don't want that public display. They've already been picked apart today. And so they wait privately and they ask him, why couldn't we do it? Why could we not cast it out? And in, in Matthew's account of this, um, Jesus' response is, because of your little faith. Because of your little faith. And there is the a discussion of faith like a mustard seed in Matthew's account, where he said, if you just have faith like a mustard seed, you could move mountains. So he's saying, you don't even have faith the size of a mustard seed. Your faith in this moment was not in the right thing. Your faith in this moment was not in the right place. It was in all the wrong things, and it was the wrong thing altogether. And that's why here in our passage in verse 29, Jesus responded to them. He said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer, but by dependence, 
but by trust, by, by wholehearted reliance on God. That's what prayer is, isn't it? Us pouring out our hearts to God, us confessing we are unable, but God, you are able. That's what prayer is. And so when he says, this could not be accomplished by anything but full dependence on God, full reliance on God's power, obviously they didn't do that. They were placing their faith in their abilities or maybe a past experience or maybe certain words, a phrase they heard Jesus use. Or, or a, a, you know, I don't, the disciples probably didn't do this, but our modern faith healers, you know, a certain coat or a hanky they use, or the certain oil. You think, what are you placing your faith in? You're bonkers. It's crazy that they would think such a way, especially after Jesus rebuked his own disciples, that people today still carry on with that kind of theatrics. Like, oh, it's just, just this swipe of my coat, or this word I say, or this... What are you doing? It's all a drama, and it's embarrassing. Just as the disciples were embarrassed here, people today ought to be embarrassed when they rely on the wrong things. And they might accomplish a show. They might have a a masquerade. They might do a really good play, but in in the end, a person has not actually received any healing. Might for a moment felt adrenaline rush, or the moment felt better. It's despicable, actually. And Jesus here says to his disciples, privately, thankfully, that they, they publicly said they're the faceless generation, but then he goes later and he says, it's because you did not depend on God. It, it, it relied on prayer and prayer in God alone. It was God, faith that is in the right thing. It's not in the healing. It's not in your um, relationship to me even. The fact that you're my close disciples. Don't place your faith in that. Don't trust in that to accomplish what God wants to do. It has to be in the right thing. God himself. It's interesting because it reminded me of uh, in Exodus 33. When Moses, he said this. Um, if you're pre- he's saying to God, if your presence does not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Like, I don't want to go there if you're not with me. If it's not you who is present, I'm not doing this. Moses recognized that he was powerless without God. He had faith in the right thing, God. If anything's going to happen, if anything's going to be accomplished, it's God and God alone. So Moses said, I'm not moving unless you go, God. I'm not going. And the disciples did not do that in this circumstance. They thought, well, we're going to go and we're going to do things in the way that we think. And Jesus pointed that out to them. They had faith in the wrong thing, their relationship with Jesus or a, a formula they had learned. But they also had faith that was not from the right place. The faith needed to be from dependence on God, a trust and a reliance in God. But that's not where their faith was from. And so Jesus pointed out to them, you have such little faith. You, did you not believe? And that's what's interesting. Sometimes uh, people today will also kind of take that and go, well, the reason you're not getting well is because you don't have enough faith. Yeah. Right? How many times have you heard that? Oh, the reason you're not well is you don't have enough faith. You just need to have more faith. Well, what does that even mean? And what are you talking about? Because you seem to be talking about more Christianity, not more dependence. You seem to be talking about more uh, going through the motions, giving more money, saying more prayers, doing more devotions. That's what you mean by when you describe you need to have more faith. That's what people like that who say, well, you need to have more faith. That's why you're not receiving healing. Because healing is not dependent upon anything here. 
It's not dependent upon how much you give or how much time you spend at church or how many prayers you said. That's not what healing is dependent on. That's putting your faith into the wrong things. Your faith in a system rather than the God who accomplishes the healing. So the problem is not that you have too little faith. It might be that your faith is in the wrong things. Your faith was in medicine. Your faith was in uh, maybe your own prayers or maybe the prayers of others. Whatever it is, we, we just realize that people who say, well, evidence is that you don't have enough faith, that's why you're not receiving healing, they're speaking of the wrong things. They, they have this idea of faith in the wrong thing. It's not in your, in your faith, your Christianity, your living out of your faith. It is in God and God alone. And here we see this father now, and the faith of the father, the same thread of faith kind of flows through this text. And it must be faith in the right thing, and faith from a right place. So where has his faith maybe been placed at first? This father, his faith was likely placed in the disciples. He was trusting in them. He was relying on them to accomplish the very thing. And, and maybe his faith was placed in a touch or a prayer. Maybe his faith was placed in the miracle itself. Where was his faith placed at first? Verse 17 he says, I brought my son to you because he has a spirit that makes him mute. And you have to empathize with this man. And because Jesus asks him, how long has this been going on? He says, from childhood. We don't know how old this kid is at this point, but he has been suffering for a long time. And this father feels the weight of that. He feels the weight of it. We see that in verse 22 when he says, have compassion on us. Help us. He's, he's coming with his son. He's begging God now to do something. So he is now bringing his son who's having this awful suffering. What's interesting about this is he said in verse 17, it's the spirit that makes him mute. Like that was his focus. This is the spirit who makes him mute, who happens to cause him to fall down and everything else. But the spirit is, is this mute spirit. So then when Jesus later rebukes the spirit, he, it says uh, that in, let me find it. In verse 25, when Jesus saw the crowd come running, he, he rebuked the spirit and said, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. So that was the, the, the kind of the person of this spirit was the, the muteness, the deafness. And interestingly enough, that, that very spirit that would make this child unable to speak or to hear was the same spirit that would cause this boy to cry out as he was convulsing. It was so interesting. But this is this spirit uh, and so some might want to say, well, this seems like a case of epilepsy when you see the seizing, the foaming of the mouth, the, the, the on the ground. But the, the focus of this passage is very spiritual. Jesus himself rebukes the spirit. He doesn't say, I'm just going to provide healing for a physical ailment. There is a spiritual element that is the core of this child's problem, not the child's fault of his own, but simply by some demonic possession that we simply cannot understand. We have a father then who, who, who is depending on and looking to someone for answers. And so when Jesus calls out to them in verse 19, O faithless generation, this man would be included. But he brought the boy. And, and when Jesus saw him, and, and, sorry, when the spirit saw Jesus, it responded. It panicked. It convulsed, immediately convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground, rolled about, foaming at the mouth. 
And here's another interesting thing. Verse 21, Jesus doesn't tend to this boy right away. Like the spirit is now throwing this kid on the ground. He's convulsing, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus turns to the father and asks him, how long has this been going on? And the father, probably like feeling helpless again for the hundredth time for his poor son, can't do anything for him. He says, from childhood, this is my boy. Look at him now. And it's often, and it goes and tells stories in verse 22, it is often cast him into fire or into water. So to destroy him, like my son has nearly died by fire. Maybe he has burns on his skin. He's nearly drowned because of one of these fits. He's felt like his son has nearly died because of this. And then he says in verse 22, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So now we begin to see it's actually pointing out that this man had his place, his faith placed in the right thing. Because back up in verse 17, he actually says, I brought my son to you. So he brought his son expecting Jesus. And perhaps the disciples stepped in and said, we can take care of it. Jesus is up a mountain. We got this. No, no, we've seen this. We can do this. We know the words to say. We know the prayers. I'm not sure. I'm speculating here because that's not in the text. But he said, I brought him to you, Jesus. And the disciples couldn't do anything about it. But I brought him to you. And now here, he says, now if you, he's seeking Jesus. He's seeking what Jesus has. But if you can do anything, have compassion. Have compassion on us and help us. So then Jesus said to him, verse 23, if you can, all things, all things are possible for the one who believes. All things. And immediately, I love the father's response. Verse 24, immediately he cried out. He said, I believe. Help my unbelief. So his faith then is in the right thing. It's in Jesus. I came to you if you can do something. His faith is now in the right thing. And now his faith is coming from the right place. A place of humility and dependence on God. He's crying out in in humility. Help my unbelief. I am so weak in my belief that I need you to help me believe in you. Because I want to believe in you. I, I, it's so interesting because when Jesus speaks to his disciples about like their faith that's so small, he's saying, I want a large faith. I want to believe in you in such a way that I might know you and you might show yourself to be true. I want to believe. I believe, but I want to believe more and I'm, I'm recognizing my weakness. He is coming from the right place of humility, of a broken and contrite heart. He's coming asking for God's help. He recognized where he stood before Christ and asked for help in it. That's an example of great faith. Of great faith. Some might say, oh, well, to say that you have misbelief or you're struggling is not great faith. But here it's an example of the greatest kind of faith. Faith that is able to actually accomplish something because it's emptied of self. That's the faith that does something because it is fully dependent upon God. It's in the right thing from the right place. That's what faith is. So this is one of the greatest examples of faith in this text. Not the disciples, not the scribes, of course, 
But this father who cries out in the midst of his weakness, this is a great example of what faith is. It's utter dependence on God. A belief with a recognition of a broken belief, a weak belief, a dependent belief. So then when we think about our own faith and, and having faith in the right thing and from the right place, where do we go wrong and struggle sometimes? Where do we misplace our faith or trust sometimes? The way we can dis- discover this is, is what disappoints you most in life? What, what's your greatest disappointments? It's likely people, right? Your spouse, your kids, your friends, a mentor. People disappoint you. They let you down. And, and perhaps that's an indication that you placed a lot of your faith in them, that, that you were expecting them to kind of uphold your emotional self. And then when they let you down, you're then depleted. Billy Graham once said, misplaced trust in people who are imperfect and sinful leads to disappointment and disillusionment. It's true. And God himself says in Jeremiah 17, he says, beginning of verse 5, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He says, if you're trusting in man, either your own self or others, if you trust in your own strength, if that's where your faith is, your trust is in mankind or a system of man or your own strength, says you have turned in your heart away from the Lord. That's a broken faith. He carries on in verse 6 of Jeremiah 17. He is like a shrub in the desert. And he shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in a parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. But, verse 7 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. There is a proper place to put our trust, and it is in the Lord. Oftentimes people misplace their trust or their dependence or their life on their own health and wealth. We often feel that everything will be okay if I just get my health back. Or everything will turn out fine if we just save enough. Why are we placing any sort of trust in something that's going to be gone? As Jesus said in Matthew 6, Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Are we treasuring up? What are we trusting in? Is it things of this world that will be broken and destroyed and gone? Or is it in the God who is eternal? A God who is not waiting for you to have a certain checklist done before he responds. That's sometimes a litmus test for us is go like, oh, You know, I don't think God's responding because I didn't. What? What? Go ahead and fill in that list and then compare it to the Bible and see what it says. It says, by grace alone you're saved. It's not by anything you've done that will cause God to respond to you and go, Oh, yes, good, you went to church. Well, I'm going to make sure I answer your prayer on Monday. That's not how God works. And so if we begin to trust in anything, Oh, well, if I just give a little more, maybe I can be a little more prosperous. Or if I just, you know give of all of my strength, God will strengthen my health longer. That's all trying to bargain with God. That's not how he goes. Instead, it is a full dependence on God to say, your will be done. Your will be done. However you want my life to be, I trust you. 
I trust you fully through this season and that season. And I'm, I am with you and I believe you. As it said in Psalm 51, I quoted earlier, the sacrifices of God, the ones that he accepts, what he wants from us is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart God will never despise. A heart that says, God, I am, I am not worthy. I have nothing to offer you. I'm coming and I'm fully depending on you to get me through this thing. I need the faith. Help my unbelief. I'm struggling. That's exactly what God des desires. And that's what pleases God. Is a heart that says, God, I, I want to depend on you. I'm broken. I need you. And the greatest place that we do that, obviously, is in our, in our faith to begin with. And not just at the beginning, but constantly. We need to return to the goodness of the gospel. Romans 10, 9, one of my favorite verses, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. So, that's faith in the right thing. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, faith from the right place that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And that is not just a, a message for those who have not yet believed. People who have not confessed Christ as their Savior, that's not just a message that, oh, you, only you need to confess and believe in him, then you'll be saved. It's a message for those of us who struggle day in and day out to know where we stand with God. Confess with your mouth that he is Lord. Is he Lord? Put your faith in the right thing. Return again and again to that every day. And then believe in your heart. Believe. Faith from the right place. Don't believe because of a system or a checklist, but believe in your heart with your life that God raised him from the dead. Believe that he has told you what is true and you, you have followed that. And then you'll be saved. And then you don't have to worry, is your faith sufficient? Is your faith good enough? He expects us to have a broken and contrite heart. A faith that is humble. So it's in the right thing. It's in God alone. And it's from the right place of dependence and prayer. That's the thread of faith that we learn from this story. This incredible story jam-packed with emotion. But through it all is a faith that should be unwavering. No matter what kind of emotions fly. No matter what kind of accusations come from scribes, Pharisees, or family members. No matter what kind of um, faltering happens in our own lives, where we have failed to trust him, where we have looked to ourselves, it does not matter because faith is the thread that keeps you connected to God, not the things you practice. Of course there's fruit. Of course there's things in our life that when our faith is in the right place, from the right place, then we see fruit of that in our life and we see evidence that, that we, we have an experience of closer communion with God. A greater relationship with God. Yes, there's fruit, but that fruit does not satisfy us to say, ah, now I know that I'm sufficient for these things. No, instead, we come before God humble and say, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief because I, I want faith to sustain me. Nothing more or nothing less but you and you alone. Let's pray for that kind of faith. Oh God, we are so dependent on you. You are a God who um, has set the moral law, even on our hearts, and yet we ignore it, we despise it, we push back on it, and so we have sinned against you, 
and yet you are the judge over all the earth. You are the judge over heaven and hell. And if it is up to us and what we have done, we deserve hell eternally. But thanks be to God that our faith is not in a system where we have worked ourselves to a great place, not that we have outweighed our bad with our good, but instead we have looked to Christ, who has in his own self taken on our sin specifically. And before you has borne the judgment, the wrath for that sin, so that when we believe, when we trust, when we depend on him as our Savior, we are saved. We are made right with you. We have a hope and a life now and forevermore. God, help us to have simple faith. Faith like that of a mustard seed, so small, but yet it's in the right thing. It's from the right place. We need your help. Help us when we don't believe. Help us when we believe in the wrong things. Help us when we're disappointed. Ultimately, we want to trust in you so you may get the glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.